Hello, I'm Niall Brown, and I'd like to welcome you to the Movies in Focus podcast. In this first episode, I talk with writer-director Nicholas Jarecki about his new movie, Crisis. It's a punchy thriller which offers audiences a thought-provoking piece of grown-up cinema. Jarecki uses the real-world opioid crisis as the basis for three interwoven stories which focus on different ways in which the epidemic can impact people's lives. It's a beautifully composed film with a top-tier cast led by Gary Oldman, Army Hammer and Evangeline Lilly. Jarecki is quietly becoming one of the new protectors of great cinema, an heir to the type of classy thrillers once made by the likes of Sidney Pollock, Alan J. Pakula and Sidney Lumet. It's rare for this type of thriller to get made these days, and the director's ensured that it's well worth your time. Jarecki's great 2012 film, Arbitrage, saw a career-best turn from Richard Gere, and Crisis is yet another textured thriller which sees its stars giving standout performances. Oldman, Hammer and Lily all get the opportunity to deliver good work and their respective plots feel fully rounded and never compromise to meet a running time. All three stories hold the attention, something which is quite rare when using this type of multi-narrative strand technique. When I spoke with Jarecki we talked about the genesis and making of the film. We also discussed what it's like making grown-up thrillers in Hollywood more interested in making superhero and comic book films. We also talked about how film is changing because of streaming and now the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a brilliant chat, and I hope you enjoy it. So, Nicholas, what made you make a film about the opioid crisis? You know, they used to give morphine to soldiers on the battlefield in the American Civil War. Um, It wasn't a problem then. Why is it such a problem now? And I think, you know, the more research I did, the more I I learned the, the role of regulation and marketing and, uh, you know, how these seemingly innocuous pills all of a sudden really posed the biggest public health crisis that the country had known in a long time. And so I became fascinated with that. I love corporate noir and stories of institutional corruption and societies run amok. You know, those old classic themes from the films of the 1970s, where really they started in the 1930s and 40s, classic Hollywood. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I felt that was ripe and fertile territory for a thriller, and then I loved also the multi-plot type films, you know, that you don't see so much anymore. 21 Grams, uh, even Robert Altman, Shortcuts, The Player, um, L.A. Confidential, Curtis Hansen films. So, uh, and I thought, well, that's a great format, you know, to really look at this issue from the law enforcement side, the illegal trafficking, smuggling, and diversion, the personal side with Evangeline Lilly's character in the film, um, you know, and the effects on users. And then the pharmaceutical side, uh, Gary Oldman's character is a biologist in the film, uh, you know, dealing with revelations about a drug company. Um, I thought it was the right mixture of ingredients for one of these corporate noirs. And, um, you know, it appealed to me. And when you're writing something that's one of those kind of multi-strand narratives, um, do you write them independently of each other and then weave them in? Or do you write, structure the screenplay so that you, you know what scenes are going as you go along? How, how does that work? So, well, it starts with an idea. Um, and then the idea for me, you know, it starts to take on characters. And I, I, I got the idea of these three characters in my mind. And I said, okay, that's good because we can look at it from this side, look at it from this side. Um, but then it's okay, well, what happens to the characters? And then there's a certain excavation to that. You know, it's almost like going into a cave with a pickaxe or something and you try to go, okay, all right, well then why, you know, what's uh, her challenge or what is, oh, what's her 
character and not, you know. And so then you kind of generate material um, and then there's the structuring of it, the laying it out. So I sort of was started out writing the stories independently. And then about halfway through, I started to say, okay, what if I blend them? What if I take this scene and put it here? And what, how about if they meet or how about if they don't meet over, you know, so it, 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 it you know, and then you start to weave it together. And then I take the scenes and sort of shake it up. How about this configuration? Okay, nah, this one needs a better link here, you know, and then piece by piece, um, try to arrive at the structure. And that's just for the screenplay, you know, you do the whole exact same thing again during the editing. Uh, so it's, um, it's, you know, there's some form of experimentation to it and some form of design. Yeah, and sort of getting the actors for the particular roles. I mean, obviously you want somebody who can anchor that story. Um, how, how did the casting come about and how did that work? I see Gary Oldman, he's got a producing credit on it. Yeah, we had met, I, I wrote something else, um, a historical epic, uh, and then I was introduced to Gary and I've, I've been a fan of his for many years. I loved him in True Romance and, uh, you know, it was right around the time of Darkest Hour. I'd quite liked that performance as well. Um, and so we were talking about that, but then I, I, at a certain point, this topic took on more urgency and uh, I had some more friends who had problems. So I wrote this script pretty quickly over the course of about five, six months. And then I took that to him and I said, you know, what about this? And he said, you know, we got to do this right now. This is urgent. This is top of mind. We've all had people we love that got into this. So, you know, and it can be a great thriller. So uh, let's go. I'll produce the project with you. You can use my name. You can go get money, uh, get other actors. And so he was a, a terrific partner in that way. Um, and, and that's where the casting began. So he was the first, you know, then Evangeline Lilly, I'd loved from Lost and, and, uh, I thought she had showed such incredible emotional range that wasn't really being capitalized on because she was just kind of in the Marvel world. Uh, and so I think she felt that she had dramatic muscles she wanted to stretch. Um, and then the rest of the cast, you know, uh, Hammer, I was introduced to, and I, I thought I'd loved him and call me by your name. Uh, and then the other people in the movie are basically my friends that I've collected over the years, Michelle Rodriguez, Greg Kinnear, uh, Lily Rose Depp. And I would call them and say like, hey, I got no money. You want to come freeze your ass off in Canada and, and help us do this movie? And they said, yeah. Uh, so, so that's how it came together. Well, you, you, you sort of touched on kind of Marvel aspect and not having money. How, how difficult is it to bring a movie like this together in the fact that the studios and most people are, our audiences tend to be leaning towards these big blockbusters? What was that like? I mean, it's tremendously difficult to put films like this together. Um, there's just, there's a kind of, uh, you know, the desire to do it is, um, it, it maybe it's there amongst creative people, but I think there's a real focus on this, you know, large budget escapism, which is great. And there's a place for that, but you know, there used to be more of a place for dramatic films, uh, you know, the mid, mid budget drama or thriller. Um, and so, uh, so, so today that's really gone towards television. So to do it as a theatrical film, um, you know, is a challenge, but where there's a will, there's a way. You know, if you get actors that, you know, the public is interested in who will support the project, um, you know, you can make it happen. But I mean, it takes a long time. You know, I made Arbitrage, came out 2013, 2012, 2013. You know, we did this in 2019. So it was almost six years. Um, 
you know, I didn't go on vacation for that time. <laughs> trying to trying to get these things done, but it's it's it is boy, it's it's always a challenge. Well, that's I mean, I loved arbitrage. I, I thought it was one of the, the best sort of thrillers of the last decade or so. Richard Gere, I think one of his best performances. And and that's a movie I've watched sort of three or four times since, you know, independently of us doing this. And this again is this that same feeling. It's in my review, I, I kind of said that you're making the kind of films that Sidney Pollack or Sidney Lumet or Alan Pakula, they, they used to make. And it's great to watch those because you don't get them anymore. Well, that is very kind of you to say. I mean, those guys were all a big influence on me when I started. You know, I remember my, my mother had shown me all of the Lumet films when I was about 15, 16. And then I read, my dad got me his uh, autobiography making movies. And I, you know, I really fell, fell in love with it. And I loved Serpico and uh, I, I, you know, I, and, and, and those other 70s films, The Conversation and Parallax View and the films with William Friedkin and later the films with Catherine Bigelow. And I, I love how they deal with like extreme characters on the edge, you know, their societies are oppressive or they're in turmoil um, and they got to kind of pull it together to try to do the right thing. It doesn't always work out for them. Um, you know, so it's uh, this type of cinema it's 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 alive it's dynamic and it's a shame that it's not so in vogue uh amongst the powers that be i, I think we got to keep fighting to keep this cinema of uh turmoil alive I, I do think people enjoy it um and uh and you know if they have it they'll gravitate towards it yeah no it, it was so refreshing i mean i thought i thought it looked brilliant it looked like a proper film you know in fact at one point you have a helicopter kind of appear and I can't remember the last film I, I watched that wasn't sort of a CGI helicopter sort of making an appearance somewhere. So it actually felt, it was refreshing to watch a film that, that, that felt natural, that looked like a proper film, which for me was brilliant. You know, I, I, that's one of the things I loved about it. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to, you know, we, we, we do, we shot on 35 millimeter, everything's done in camera. I mean, I like that ethos of it. And, and what I liked about those filmmakers you mentioned, Pollock, Lumet, you know, they were making personal stories or making interesting, challenging material, but they were working at scale. So you didn't feel like, oh, it's an independent film that's shot in three rooms and it doesn't have the visual palette. We got to, you know, there is a place for those two. But I think what happened is anything that became a sort of uh, complex idea or a complex dramatic situation it became, okay, well, you got to do it for no money. And as a result of no money, you got no production value. And, you know, so it, it becomes a bit stagey. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, this is cinema. We want to take advantage of um, the beautiful things that cinema offers us, which are a, a real journey into these worlds. Um, and so we were lucky to be able to pull that together with this. And you, you did that under, obviously, you sort of budget limitations. Um, were you ever tempted to go down the streaming route with a Netflix or, or any of those companies? Just to I make mean, it easier? yeah, it's not, you know, it's, uh, there's no, there's no uh, secret door to getting these films done, unfortunately. I mean, it's not just like, oh, I was too good for Netflix. You know, I don't think, frankly, they want to make this kind of movie, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they it's, it's, it's just any film that is not an obvious log line, you know, uh, it's old assassins team up to save the Holy Grail, whatever. Um, you know, something that's not that is, is challenging to get financed and to get distribution for. 
Um, you know, this is a film made completely independently. It's financed with private investors. It's distributed by an independent distribution company in the U.S., Quiver, um, and, and, you know, made modestly. And yet, despite all of that, we've been the number one selling film in America for two weeks. Um, and we were the number one independent film in the box office. And this is with very little marketing. So I think it, it, it shows that there's a public hunger for this, this kind of uh, storytelling. You know, the cinema of provocation, the cinema of uh, grit, um, but yet still presented in a very beautiful uh, dynamic form. Um, so, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I try to keep it alive. It's, um, you know, and it, it's very rewarding in some ways, uh, but you know, it, it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, but what's great about your movies, um, um arbitrage and this, there, there's a, a very kind of grown up you, 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 in the seven years that have passed or whatever it was, you, you don't seem to have dumbed it down or uh, sort of lent towards, in fact, it, I can almost say this is even more complex than an arbitrage, um, which is brilliant to watch. Um, is there pressure sometimes from the money guys to kind of go, is there any way you, you, you can kind of make it softer, make it easier? Or, or do you just go, this is it. I want to make it and push through with that. It's interesting. Um, it's, it's what I found in film is it's really about finding the right collaborators. Um, so, so it's not like, it's not like there's, you know, Mr. Joe money and he sits there and he's like, okay, it has to be on an intellectual level. Uh, right now you're at a 6.8, but I need you to lower it to 5.2. It's like that guy just doesn't want to make this movie at all. He's, there's no conversation with him. Then there's another guy who's like, let's go deep and let's go wide. And, you know, and he wants to do it. No matter. He's undaunted. Uh, you know, or she's undaunted. She wants to be in the movie. You know, she doesn't care if it's uh, challenging conventions or could offend people. And that was Evangeline's point of view from a, a certain perspective. She said, you know, I like that this is challenging. I like that this woman is unhinged. I, 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 I think what you're doing is provocative and, and, and interesting and you'll catch some heat for it, um, but it's worth doing. So it's, you know, you find those team members that share the vision and then you guys go together and execute. And you know, it does, you don't always get everything right or you don't, you know, but hopefully ultimately it's in service of uh, making something that is real and that you care about and that you feel, you know, I used to work with a cinematographer and hopefully we'll work together again, Eureka LaSalle on my last picture. He did I Am Love and Little Women and Carlos, but he, he has a deep French accent. He would always say, you know, we can't do this or we can't do that. I said, why not? He said, because you sign your name to the film. You know, you, how could you sign? How could you sign that? You know, and what he was really saying is uh, you, you hold out a mark of authenticity on this creative product, on this work. And to compromise that, you know, it's, you compromise your own integrity. Uh, so, so I try to keep that in mind. We're always signing the film. So you want to just find those people that want to make the same signature block as you, um, you know, and, and the style. And sort of looking at the world at the minute, obviously cinemas are closing and or are closed and we don't know what, what it's gonna look like when things are opening up. For your style of movie, do you think there's gonna still be an audience that go out and buy a ticket and go to that type of movie? Or do you think it, it once things change, it'll all kind of go straight to VOD or, or those sorts of platforms? I think it's unclear, you know, here, so with Arbitrage, 
we really were the first to do this in a major way where we, we played the movie in theaters and at home on the same day, day and date. And to this day, you know, almost 10 years later, we hold the record for the highest grossing independent film to ever do that. Um, and, and the, uh, uh, Thing is now that's become a little bit more commonplace, but we did that with this movie in the pandemic, not knowing what was going to happen. And we were actually quite thrilled that we were the number two highest per screen. We opened 216 theaters here. We were the number two highest per screen theater average after Tom and Jerry. And that's while it was available on TV. So, so we found there is a contingent of people that want to go to the cinema and they're going to go, they're going to go even under the threat of a pandemic. Um, and then there's a, percentage of people that want to do it at home. So what is the ultimate exhibition format for this type of story? I mean, listen, I hope it stays in the theater. I love going to the movie theater. And 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 we were saying just before this interview, both of us, how boring, you know, COVID is. And, and that that going down to the cinema, that's a pleasure that we've, we've lost to some extent. Now maybe it's coming back a bit. Um, but at the same time, if the viewer wants to consume it at home, I think we have to respect and understand that and value them. And, and, you know, what we find is that they like that they're, they're still in the conversation when the movie comes out. Is they're not waiting for video and feel like a second class citizen, you know, they get to participate in, in the beginning of the cultural debate. Well, that's and one of the great things, one of the few great things about everything that's been happening is the fact that everybody is able to watch things at the same time, which, you know, things have become rather fractured. And now everyone can go, right, this movie is out. We're going to watch it. Hence the reason I think a movie like this has been so successful because before it might have been lost in the shuffle. And I think for independent cinema, this has been a pretty good year, all things considered. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, I do think the independent spirit is alive and well. Um, you know, maybe it's not alive at the studio level in the way that there was an embrace in the 90s of, you know, Tarantino or Alison Anders or, you know, uh, whomever. Uh, you know, there's a few auteurs that, you know, like Fincher, uh, you know, or, or people that, that get their work more easily distributed. Um, and then there are some emerging new voices. I, I saw this film I liked a lot this year, Judas and the Black Messiah. You know, that's a pretty dynamic and interesting movie. Um, but it remains a struggle. It remains a struggle for every filmmaker, for everyone who wants to tell a story that's, um, you know, more than just uh, uh, an entertainment or a fantasy, um, something with a deeper resonance. Um, it's a fight, but it's a fight that can be done and it's a fight worth doing because that's what we all love and remember about cinema, you know, uh, is these type of films that were, um, you know, people had to fight to bring forth. Well, that's, and you know, the, the, the type of movie that you've made, it's a movie, which I said in my review, it's a movie that's entertaining, but it also packs a message. And that's, I think, one of the great things that cinema can do. You, you can actually be entertained, but come away and look at something and then maybe research the opioid crisis if it's not something that you knew about. And I think you don't get that a lot of the time with most of the, the mainstream stuff at the minute. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, what's kind of great is if, if you can entertain an audience, if you can succeed at all in entertaining an audience, you know, you have them there and they're listening. And so it's not to, we don't want to put a ram something down their throat of, you know, and you see that in movies, you know, where they're very 
cloying and to go, oh, you know, this persecuted group, they're good people too. And you're like, hey, listen, I already knew that before I got to the movie theater. I didn't need this silly movie to tell me that. But what if, you know, if they're with you um, and they're kind of into the movie, then you can kind of maybe get them some information they didn't know. Maybe say, mm, did you know that the FDA didn't really police this stuff? Did you know that the patent royalties are what keep, you know, did you know that uh, treatment is ignored? They use the homeless people to do, you know, the more abuses of power. And, and people go, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, let me learn more about that. And if there's anything that I'd like to advocate with this film, it was important for all of us making is just to understand that those people in trouble with uh, substance abuse are not the enemy. They're your brother, they're your sister, you know, and I, I think we used to kind of demonize people and say, oh, these are people on the fringes of society. But with the opioid epidemic, at least in America, it's hit so close to home that it's crossed over into the everyday life. And so everybody knows someone that's dealing with addiction and it could be your, your mother, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I think, I think ending the, uh, ending the, um, kind of distaste of the addict or the, the person who's in trouble with substance abuse and moving more towards a compassionate treatment-based approach and saying, with, Hey, we put enough money in the pockets of the pharmaceutical companies. Why don't we actually put some in the treatment facilities that could help the people that got hooked on a dangerous product? Um, and I think that is, that is happening. And, and we've been working with some nonprofits to kind of advance that discussion. And, um, and I think just talking about it, you know, with people like yourself, you know, who are film fans, uh, but, you know, and it's, again, it's not, we don't want to, we're not trying to hit anyone over the head with anything. We're just trying to say like, same, same thing with arbitrage. Like, look at this situation. This is who you entrusted your pension to these guys on wall street. And they go, this is who you entrusted your life to certain pharma companies who, who are, are, are motivated to put profit first because that is the American way. Um, and, and so it's up to the citizenry to say, um, let's, let's make sure people are in there too. Well, you, you still actually made me think of something. Obviously, you, you took kind of a, a shot at the, the financiers with, with arbitrage and the drunk companies. You work in independent cinema. The money's got to come from somewhere. Is there ever somebody that's got a conflict of interest with within putting money into your movie? I think we've got enough Bitcoin millionaires out there to keep me going a little longer. Hopefully. <laughs> um, it's funny. I have one of my uh, one of my investors is Saudi. One of my producers, and you know, we we made arbitrage together. So somebody went online and they were like, "Oh, this is the cinema of Mohammed bin Salman." I mean, this couldn't be further from the truth. It's completely insanity. But you know. What, what, what can you do, uh, you know, with, with, the, with, with the conflicts and with all this? I mean, you just have to kind of have your own moral road that you walk, you know. I know that the intentions of the film are pure uh, and, and, and I think the result seems to connect with people. Um, so uh, so uh, we're not taking drug money to make the movies and we're not taking beheading money. Uh, uh, but beyond that, you know, money's welcome if you're, anyone watching uh, feels like they want to step up. And, and speaking of Stephen, what's next for you? I mean, what, what's next in the pipeline, if, if, if anything? Yeah, I'm, I have a new film. I actually got a meeting on it with an actor and an actress in about an hour. Uh, so we'll see. This, is, this one's about uh, uh, the military, about a, a helicopter pilot and all of her accomplishments, uh, a really dynamic character. So I don't know. We'll see if that comes together. Uh, it's another challenging one. 
uh, challenging military and the systems of power, and uh, but it follows a real extraordinary American. Um, so uh, so we'll we'll have to see. Right, and and, and anything you, you mentioned a, a kind of a historical film potentially with Gary Oldman. Can you say anything about that or? Is That's it, still in the works. That 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 one that 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 might be a minute. It's we got a. It's about uh, terrorism in the early 1900s, um, and uh, uh, the labor and capital struggle. So I, it's not at the top of anybody's uh, wish list for writing a check, writing a 50 million dollar check. But um, but we continue to continue to work on it. Well, I, I'm probably guessing we're we're out of time or uh, close to it. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I really enjoyed the movie. I hope it continues to be hugely successful on the streaming platforms. And uh, yeah, just keep making the movies that you're making. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your support. And if anyone wants to learn more about the movie, they can go uh, on Instagram crisis movie or Twitter. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, maybe it'll even show in one of your cinemas when they reopen. Uh, but if not, it'll be there on the platforms. And um, I really enjoy your writing and, uh, and what you're up to. So I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this with you. Well, thank you and take care.